and welcome to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Billy Holiday. Hello there. Oh, not a boo because it's no longer our, our Halloween episode. Oh, and oh, welcoming no, no, no. back, Jeremy Gregory. Oh, shit. Hey, guys. Now, it's been, it's been a while. It's been at least two main feed episodes plus a handful of bonus episodes since Jeremy's been on. Uh, before we get started, with the episode we're going to talk about today, which is a patron-requested episode on Wario Land 3 for the Game Boy. And before we talk about what we've been playing, uh, Jeremy, you missed out on our two Halloween episodes, which are, in my opinion, my favorite month of the year to do shows. Uh, I'm sure you had played both of them before. So did you have anything you wanted to say about either Silent Hill 4 or Resident Evil 4? I, I'm, I, It really sucks that I had to miss out. You know, I did not want to miss out on October at all. Um, but <laughs> some things literally stopped me from doing that. Um, and, and both of those games were ones I was looking forward to covering, but, uh, Resident Evil 4 is, is just, it's one of my favorite Resident Evils of all time. And you know, Silent Hill 4, there's, there's some stuff I like about it and there's a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about, but it just, it, it just falls flat a lot of the time in the execution. The only thing I really wanted to say about it is that it has possibly one of the best trailers for a video game ever made. Um, so if you didn't mention that, go watch the Silent Hill 4 trailer on YouTube. It's like, it's legit creepy. One of the, just the coolest trailer. And skip the game. <laughs> I don't think you really need to play it. I, you know, I we we talked about obviously a full episode. I think it's got some redeeming features, but it definitely goes longer than it needs to. Uh, kind of repeating the same areas, probably mm. not the best decision uh, for for making you want to continue the game. But still, in the world of of horror games, still not a bad one. Um, other than, uh, well, should I even ask what you've been playing, or just want to move on from that? Sure, you can ask. Okay, so Jeremy, have you had time to play anything while you've been off the podcast? Well, once I got back home from the hospital, I didn't want to do anything. I basically laid in bed for a week and and was was recovering the best I could. But once I finally was was kind of just like, okay, I feel like I can play a video game again. Two games had come out that I really wanted: God of War and the new Sonic game. Mm. And I'll talk about God of War at some point. But I just want to mention how stupidly amazing the Sonic game is. Like, it's Sonic Frontiers is the weirdest, jankiest thing that I think has been put out in a very long time by a major company or major publisher. It, it, it's this weird open world and, world, and I think you've seen it in trailers. You know, it just kind of looked like Sonic going around this very well-rendered open world and just kind of sliding around on, on rails. And that was just the worst way to, to market that game or show that game. Because what's there is... It, it, there's so much there, but it's so strangely put together that you can't help but be, be like, fascinated by it. Like there's the cyber world levels, which are basically, um, you know, regular Sonic levels, uh, and then you come back from that and you get a a key that unlocks, uh, you know, the, what the what do you call them, the gems in Sonic? I don't know. Like the chaos um, gems, chaos emeralds. Yeah, you got to have so many of those keys before those unlock, 
And then there's, as you're going through, there's these giant Shadow of the Colossus bosses that you fight. And it's it's just crazy how much is in that game. And none of it fits together <laughs> at all. <laughs> but I can't stop playing it. It's kind of just like this weird car crash that is is fun to just keep watching. I don't know. The, you know, it's a clown car or something. It's burning but the clowns are funny trying to get out. And that's kind of what Sonic Tears is, is like. Uh, it, it's just something I really want to get back in and play because you never know what this game is going to throw at you. It, it's so random. And I hope they build on it because if they can just kind of get things stuck together better in a sequel, I think it would be like legit awesome. But as it is, like if you like weird games and and just like sonic's not even lame in this one the story's not bad amy came on the screen and she didn't make me cringe <laughs> so it, that that's a huge hurdle for a sonic game to to get over with me and uh it's so far done a great job i'm i'm really enjoying playing it it's got great music too like legit really good music so I, I can't recommend it enough for people that uh, like weird games. Uh, which version are you playing? Like which PS5. Console? PS5, okay. Yeah, I, I'm going to get it for my son for the Switch because uh, he's a big Sonic guy. But I, I was worried because, you know, all the previews made it look like it didn't run well. Uh, but those were all being done with emulators. So, you know, can that really be counted as an authentic version of what's there? So I'm glad to hear that at least, even if it's compelling because it's so bizarre, that it's not a complete trash fire. Do you think it's better than Sonic Adventure 2? Yes. Okay, let's see. Then I'm already in. I'm boy, already in. Boy, boy what, what a low fucking bar. <laughs> I, I, I think this is actually like the best 3D Sonic that has ever been made that I've played. Okay, see, that's mm. a positive thing. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I do. I want to I get it for him, and I definitely want to try it. But, you know, I, Sonic Lost World was fine. Like, it was a good game, but I just it didn't pull, pull me in. But, but to have a weird open world game that would at least keep me interested because it's bizarre, that sounds very mm. compelling. Mm. Um, well... I, on the other hand, uh, bought something else new as well. I'm not going to talk about it too much this time because our next episode is going to kind of be a better discussion point for this. But I picked up the Atari 50, uh, the, mm. the, the kind of retrospective on on Atari from the, the birth of the company up to present. It is It has, you know, a bunch of games, over 100 games to play, of course, a bunch of 2600 games, but it has 5200, 7200 uh, Atari computer games, a bunch of arcade games, like the classic arcade games, and then I was really more excited because it has Jaguar and Lynx games. Now, truthfully, are any of those games worth playing? I don't know yet. So far, my answer would be probably not, uh, the Jaguar and Lynx games at least, but the the package that it's all put together in is actually more like, you know, I love watching those documentaries on the history of video games uh, whenever they come on. And this is basically like a very well-done documentary of the early Atari games. It's got plenty of interviews and little video clips, but it's you decide like how fast you want to go through that material. And then if you go that way, it basically that's like, you know, you go through 1978 or whatever, and it talks about the, the birth of the VCS system, and then it highlights the games you can play right then. So you can go into a list of all the games and play them from the get-go. You don't have to go through this history stuff. But if you did go through the history stuff, it also kind of like unlocks those games at the right point in time. So you can kind of you know, play even games I wouldn't have wanted to play otherwise. When you get the backstory of why Sprint 8 is worth playing, you know, it was neat to play and see, 
you know, oh, okay, now I see what they're talking about, how this kind of is different than the previous games they were talking about that, that were the similar driving games. So it's neat. I like it. It's also only $40 for a brand new game uh, with all that content. So I think it's pretty neat. And again, the Jaguar games, where else are you going to play a copy of Trevor McFur? Uh, pretty much nowhere at this point. So it's it's neat, uh, but I'm going to definitely talk a little bit more about that uh, on our next episode. But the other thing I've been playing is after Halloween, like right before, after we did our two episodes for the main feed and I was looking for something else to play. I was still like try I was still in zombie mode. I was still in, you know, play horror games mode. And so I picked up again uh, for for the first time since it was brand new. I started playing Dead Rising again cuz I had never finished it mm, the proper damn. way. I finished it, but I never got through all the cases and got to the true ending or whatever. So, despite the fact that in October we played two games that had escort sections that both of us complained about. I then picked a game that has the worst escort missions on earth. Yes. I don't know if there is any worse escorting than escorting the survivors in in Dead Rising. It is the most frustrating experience I think I've had with a game easily in like six years. I was just screaming <laughs> in my basement at trying to get some of these folks, you know, from their their hiding spot in the mall back to the main area. It is the. I know it's it, it's. There's a lot of enemies and there's zombies, so you, you know you got to kind of make sure people aren't grabbed. But like everybody does the dumbest thing; they don't follow you very well. If you give them weapons, they stop and fight everything. Some of the characters make it so that they're too afraid to move, so you have to ho- constantly hold their hand, and that means other characters are going to do whatever. They're- oh, it's so frustrating! But I did finally finish it with a real ending, which, if you haven't done the final, like true ending to that game, is pretty out there like it's like another shift from what was going on in the game at that point but still glad i finished it now i'm going to get started with the other dead risings which i've i've also owned and actually never even started so i'm <laughs> looking forward to that but billy what have you been playing oh boy it's that time of year and i, I i'm doing it again i this is a call of duty house right now um this i very reluctantly get into call of duty uh, you know, I, I used to love it years ago, about the time of, you know, Call of Duty 4. I, I was big on the previous ones, you know, 2 and 3. I followed the Modern Warfare series. I did a couple of Black Ops. Once it got futuristic, I I, I was out. I, I was all the way out. I, I don't need a jetpack. I don't need to run up the fucking wall. Uh, but then it's it's it rained it back in. And, it you know, it's it's doing the whole reimagining of the the modern warfare storyline except not really it's just some of the same characters you enjoyed from then um some of the same set pieces little callbacks here and there but i think it does a great job of not being hey you remember that part that you liked here it is again um and this one i great things to say about the story i I, and i am one of those people that plays through the story mode um before i i really tackle the multiplayer kind of with opposite this time but um, and, and multiplayer is a lot of fun um, just because it's it's another one of those. You enjoy it um, if you have other people playing, you know, and it's been a great thing that and, and a really fucking weird thing is I'm sitting there playing online with my son on 2022 Modern Warfare 2 because um, that was the original Modern Warfare 2 was one of the very first games we played together online back in the day. Um, and, you know, and then my, I, my hair instantly turned gray and I turned into a fucking skeleton at that point. I felt every bit my age plus like 20, 30 years on top of it. Um, but it's been good. I have good things to say about it. It's call of duty. And if you don't like that, it's not going to bring you back around. But if you do, I think it tightened up some things I've had problems with in previous ones. 
And and yeah, and, and this one is sticking around for fucking two years before there's another one, apparently. So I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll do more than hit that first prestige and then quit like I, I normally do. But I also, damn it, it came out on Game Pass, I, I think yesterday or today, as the, the day we're recording, was that Vampire Survivors, which is just basic as all hell. It looks like an old Flash game, and I'm fucking hooked. And I, I don't usually do um, kind of those games where just you know, see how long you survive. And, you know, um, I don't even know if the thing has a fucking ending to it. I don't know what it has. All I know is I sat down to play it because I was like, I could play this for five minutes. And an hour and a half apparently went went by during that stretch. Um, so I, I am enjoying that one, too. And it's fucking it's on Game Pass, but it's cheap as hell, too. It's like fucking five bucks. And it just has a great kind of old school feel to it. And somehow I have a lot of nostalgia for a type of game that I never really liked. So this one's doing something. Yeah, I looked at that. It looks like the kind of game I would enjoy because I do like games where it's, you know, kind of that retro uh, mm. Robotron style gameplay where you're just kind of in the middle and stuff coming at you from all sides. You're just trying to stay alive. That That's my kind of thing. But uh, I have not given it a try because I've been too busy playing the game we're going to talk about today. Yeah. A patron requested episode on Wario Land 3 for the Game Boy Color. As I mentioned, this was a patron request. This came to us from another Jeremy, Jeremy S. on our Patreon, who uh, mm. you know requested that we cover Mario uh, Mario Land 3 for the Game Boy if no one else had covered it, so we're gladly going to. I've reached out to Jeremy several times uh, to try to get see if he wants to do an interview. Didn't hear anything back. So uh, if you do, Jeremy, reach out to me again via Patreon. We can put you on a future episode to kind of give us a rebuttal on this if you want to or whatever else. Uh, but otherwise, we're just going to get started. And I will say, unsurprisingly, if anyone listens to this podcast, <laughs> yet another series that I'm completely unfamiliar with i am a little baffled with it um because i i think the first it's the first wario land super mario land 2 uh three is, is that three okay this, is that okay see already um this is one of those i tried to kind of scan the timeline of things and what they're happening what's happening and, and when and where uh and i kind of i lost interest i'm fucking add rattled all the hell but um no, it's I, I have played, you know, all the Mario um, Game Boy offerings. Wario still at this time, you know, before he's as, as big as he is now. Well, he's big as all hell in terms of size. But, you know, before he became, you know, kind of a, a smash mainstay and that character you just expect to see now in all the, the Mario games like, you know, cart and tennis and whatnot. Uh, at the time this came out, I remember playing it a little bit. And Wario was still such a novelty to me. And I didn't know if I was going to be on board or not. Never bought this one, but did uh, delve into it a little bit here and there to friends. This was the first time I really um, sat down and played it through. And this was probably one of the first Mario offerings or games within that that universe that I, I, I guess didn't immediately get on board with because I, I did not play this one through at the time. I think I'd mentioned before that when I had a Game Boy as cool as I thought it was, 
I didn't really play much of it. Like I did, but it didn't last long in the grand scheme of things. And I had the original Mario Land. I thought it was awesome, you know, being able to take that anywhere you wanted to go. But by the time Super Mario Land 2 came out, I seen it and it looked really cool, but I just kind of stopped playing Game Boy games at that point. I don't know why. I didn't switch over to another portable. It's just I'm not that big of a handheld gamer. And uh, I did see when Super Mario Land 3 came out and it was Wario because I remember the commercial. Uh, it's 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 pretty great. And I did see it like on like demo stations of like video playing. And it looked awesome. Like it looked like a, you know, it, it didn't look like you just switched skins with Mario anyway. It looked like Wario was a completely different thing. It was just in, in the guise of a kind of Mario game. Mm-hmm. So I was really interested in it, but I never played it. Yeah, I, 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 I've mentioned many times I kind of fell off of Mario for a while. I just decided, oh, they're all the same. And so I was in the same boat. I played through the original Super Mario Land because it was one of the few games I had on Game Boy at first. We did have Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins, uh, which uh, you know was, was fine. It was a, more close to what I'd say is a, what you expected from Mario. Super Mario Land was weird. Like, it wasn't bad, but it, it felt like a lot of those early Game Boy games where they took a, a classic franchise and put on the Game Boy. And, and so they weren't quite sure how to do that yet. Uh, and so Super Mario Land is not, it's kind of, it stands on its own. But Super Mario Land 2 was more like what you expected from from a Mario game. And so I never even played uh, Super Mario Land 3. So Wario first appeared as the bad guy in, in Super Mario Land mm-hmm. 2, which we already mentioned. Uh, that came out yes. in 1992. And then in 1994, the first Super, the first Wario Land game came out. Wario Land Super Mario Land 3, uh, also for the Game Boy in 1994. Never played that. Uh, I actually tried this but kind of forgot about it because it was a very very short-lived system in 1995 wario land for the virtual boy came out which is another game in the series that will unfortunately never get to cover because it's on the virtual boy uh wario land 2 came out for the game boy color in 1998 and that kind of built on this same same kind of gameplay up to the point where we got to the game we're going to talk about today wario land 3 which came out also for the game boy color in 2000 uh i also expected this to be a straight up mario game but you're Wario instead. Mm-hmm. So maybe there would be some like other abilities he has. For example, when you first start the game, that's kind of what I thought we were ta- walking into because Wario, um, he can jump like Mario does and he can stomp on enemies like Mario does. Although most of his enemies, when you jump on them, it kind of stuns them for a second. And then if you use your um, your B button, it'll kind of charge in enemies and, and kill them. So I was like, okay, that's the difference. Wario's kind of bigger and he can charge in enemies and oh, I can use that charge to break through some walls. So okay, I, I get this. It's going to be a very standard Wario game. But it or Mario game, but it's it's not at all. The Wario Land levels are smaller than you'd think a you know like new Super Mario Brothers level would be. They're they're probably about as long as an original Super Mario Brothers level, but they also go you know up higher in the sky. There's doors like they would be in Mario Brothers Two that let you go into other little areas, and these maps are all self-contained maps. But unlike a Mario game, you're not trying to get from the start to the end where there's a flag or you know an objective. Instead, there are in each of these levels four different chests of, you know, red, blue, green, and gray, and you have to find the the key, which is the same color. Once you find that key, you go back to that chest, you'll open it, and you'll get an item that will either give you a new ability or open up other parts of your map. Much like in Super Mario World and that kind of thing, you have uh, an overworld map that you can pick your levels on, but unlike in those games, you have to unlock each new area by, you know, getting through the level you're in and finding an item that will somehow open up 
you know, the next level for you. Sometimes it's it's a very clear cut. You find this thing and it you when you exit the level, it gives you a path to a new section. Other times you'll get like a weird staff and all of a sudden the map shakes and you see like, you know, a new tunnel open on the map and you now know you can go there uh, to continue your mission. It's it's a different, you know, just just on its on its face value to you get some of the more intricate level design and, and uh, the other abilities Wario has that are way more interesting than the starting abilities, even from the very beginning with just the ability to slam into characters and walls and find these keys. I was already like, OK, this is different than I expected. But this game, especially with Wario's ability, his innate ability is not that he can jump and slam into things or not that he gets other abilities later as you unlock this, let him do things like a butt stomp or, uh, or whatever. But instead it is that Wario cannot die. Unlike Mario who gets hit by an enemy and dies when Wario is hit by an enemy, he does a much more comical effect. Uh, if it's, if you get you know hit by an enemy that breathes fire or whatever, then Wario catches on fire and runs around like a madman till eventually he bursts into flames and then burns out. And then you continue moving, right? But it's that when you're hit by most of these enemies, it also enables you to do other things you wouldn't be able to do if you weren't hurt, which is a really cool mechanic. Yeah, it's it's there's so many little things about this. Um, like you were saying before, I really couldn't recall this one that well. So I, I came in not 100% knowing what to expect. Um, I think I did expect that it would be you know, a little more of a, a little more of a Mario game, like a reskin, right? Uh, just they, they made a fatter Mario and put him out there. So I, I was very, I was thrilled when this, the fact that if you did not know the connection between you know, Mario and Wario, I, you, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know this was a game taking place in in the same world, or he was involved with 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 these other characters and things like that. So it, from the start, it did a great job of kind of making it its own game, uh, which I, I think made it a little easier for me to get on board with. And, you know, they go the, the Super Mario Brothers 2 route, um, where it's just it's completely different enemies than you're, you're used to within these games. They did a lot to just make this its own thing, and I appreciated it from the start. I, I don't think the music nearly hits any of the old Mario tune cues at all. Uh, Wario is... is his own thing very fucking well animated I, I was a little there are a lot of status i guess you would call them status effects and whatnot you take on in this game some strategically and some to your detriment and the, everything is just i noticed from the start everything's so well animated throughout this thing i i was instantly impressed with that it was always kind of surprising me like you know when you get hit and you you get small yeah. You just kind of expect that you just do cool. the same stuff, but then you you find out that you can do the Super Mario 2 thing and pick up an enemy and then yeah. throw him. And yeah. like that was really cool. Like it that it gives you a different set of things that you can do in that status. So I, there's just a lot of stuff in this game. Like it's kind of crazy for a Game Boy game. Like this thing is jam packed. Yeah, uh, with every, the things that Wario can can do, just how big the game is, like it's a big game for being on the Game Boy. I I was conditioned for quite a while with the Game Boy to expect what I bought, I should be able to beat in one sitting. You know, mm -hmm. I it, and that was the way with the original Super Mario Land. I could beat yeah. that in one sitting, and it's, just about everything else was. This would was, be a this would be a long ass sitting. Right here. 
This is more like, I think it'd be more fit, fitting to be on the NES or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Because even when I was playing it on, uh, you know, the RetroPie, I was, was kind of like, man, I can't imagine just sitting there with my neck, <laughs> like, broken playing this game for hours because there's just so much stuff to do. And and again, with the surprise stuff, I was really surprised how much exploration is in this mm -hmm. game, like finding the treasure chests and things like that, because it actually matters how much money you're getting you know, uh, for the end of the game, which we'll explain here in a bit. But it, it's it's something you're constantly having to look out for. And, and just like the little rooms and things that Jeremy mentioned that you can find, it's awesome to try and find those. And that's something that, that a Mario game really never did too much, unless you were looking mm -hmm. for secrets or something like that. Well, yeah, this game is, it, it, honestly, after the first couple levels, it changes to such a level or such a, a, a mindset change to play through this. Um, you know, you do need money, unlike in the other Mario games, other than for just for score. And you do want to get hit because, again, getting hit turns your character into, you know, sometimes like I mentioned the fire characters. Later on, there are some characters that are like these robots that slam down these hammer things. If you get hit by one of those, you turn into a spring, but it lets you jump way higher than you normally be able to jump. You have no, no way to not jump. So you're constantly jumping around like a spring and you can't do anything else. But it means there are sections of the level that are designed explicitly to make sure you get hit by these enemies so that you can get up to that other area so you can continue looking for the chests. Um, each level, like I mentioned, uh, is it has the four chests in them. But depending what abilities you've earned, uh, you can only actually find one or two. For example, swimming is something that you're going to have to do in, in Mario Land or in Wario Land 3. And you don't get to swim at first. You gain the ability later to swim underwater and really control yourself mm -hmm. well. So in some of the early levels, you know, the chest may be the one chest you can find, you'd have to jump over the bridge and get to the end, and there's, you know, the chest and the key are at the end of the bridge. But once you get the ability to swim, you have to go back to these earlier levels and explore. And then there's like, oh, there's a whole series of underwater caves here I never would have found if I didn't go back and, you know, make sure I, I went through all these areas that I could swim in. The game is very good at, at hiding the other paths you're supposed to go. And it's also very good, once you get these new abilities, at kind of reminding you to go back to those older levels. So... Yeah. Um, when, when you get, for example, the, you know, you might get a, um, one of the, the things you unlock later is like this, uh, the, this, I think it's supposed to be like a whistle, like a snake charm whistle. And it makes it so there are these pots that are in certain levels you passed where now when you go to those levels, because you have the snake charm whistle, this giant snake comes out of them. And you can use that snake to ride up to higher parts of the level. When you first get that flute at the end of whatever level you get it in, it goes back to the overworld map and it kind of shows you on the map, here's now a jar, here's a jar, here's a jar. You now know to go back to those areas and search and find that jar. And now you can get to other parts of the level that most likely will be one of the other three chests you didn't already open. So like just the, the fact that, you know, there's, you have to revisit all these levels at least four times each. There are a total of, what, 24 levels in the game? I think there's six levels per map, and there's four maps you can go to that you have to unlock. So that already means you are, you know, even if you just went to those 24 levels and didn't count them as individual levels because you have to explore them each time with different abilities, that's still 24 full-size levels you're talking about in a Game Boy game, which you're right. We're used to at this time frame, Game Boy games being shorter. You know, the Castlevania game admittedly was out four years before this, but that has four levels. And the original Super Mario Land only has a small handful of levels. Like, these games, uh, this is a way bigger game than you'd expect in the Game Boy Color. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a result, thankfully, it does save. 
and it saves a lot. Every time you finish a level, it automatically saves. When you're in a level, you can pause the game and just save right there. Come back later, you're right in the same exact spot you were in that same level, which mm-hmm. is great. And that's on the cart. That's not just something we're saying, oh, because we played it on you know other other means. No, in the actual cart originally, you could save any place. So even though this is a much longer game, I still think about Game Boy games uh, because the original Game Boy and, and even the color didn't have a a super long battery life. You had, what, six hours maybe on a set of batteries if you yeah, were lucky yeah. with a with a Game Boy Color. So this is the kind of thing, if you were in a car or if you were going to play this, you can play for 15 minutes, explore a level, find a chest, and it saves. You can put it down and come back later and play this in little short bursts. So I think this is still a game that does translate well to handheld play, but yeah. only because it lets you save everywhere. If there were checkpoints you had to save at, this would be a little unwieldy, especially with having to go back to these levels. You know, if checkpoints mm. were only earned after beating a boss or something, because there are a handful of bosses in here, uh, it, it would have been a much harder sell, I think, as a handheld game. But instead, you know, I, I've easily put in shoot, over six, seven hours on this so far, and I'm not finished with it yet, but I've seen all the maps, and I've seen... Uh, you have to do a lot more things at the end than you think. I've seen what I what I needed to see, and I and I've done it in about eight hours, and I still want to finish this. I'm I'm enjoying it before I want to finish it, but yeah. it is it is a a game that rewards you for playing in short little bursts. I think otherwise it does get a little boring if you're playing at this for you know two three hours in a block. Once you've seen all the levels, especially when you're going back to find the chest you haven't gotten to, or to find all the gold coins in each level, which is something you need to do. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a lot to play through at once, but it is perfect for playing. I'm going to play for half an hour and then put it down and do something else and come back and play for half an hour. Then I loved this game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had gone when I first started playing it and I saw the length of it. Um, and I was not getting through this game quickly. And I, I thought to myself, you know, this would have been like the ultimate Game Boy fucking road trip game. You know, you're, you're a kid, you're stuck in the back of the car wail away on this thing you know you got you you have about four or five hours on the road and put them into this but as i kept playing i did find um that i i was appreciating this game in in smaller bites smaller smaller piece um when i sat down when i if i sat down for a long session on here which sounds weird talk about a game boy i think this is the most time i've clocked in um, to a Game Boy game aside, uh, aside from Link's Awakening, which we talked about, our surprise that that was a whole ass game on the Game Boy. I, I, I think this is, you know, not quite the amount of time of that as that, um, but it's it's probably a close second. Um, but Link's Awakening, I think, stayed exciting with what you're doing, whereas I did find this one, especially when you're going back, especially when you're you're hunting things down. Um, a little bit of the old repetition does co- imagine that repetition in a, a Mario related game. Who knew? Um, I think that does sink in. And the more I was playing it, I was like, mm, if I was in the car for four or five hours, I, I, I think I would keep coming back to this one in between other games and just knock a level out and then keep going uh, for for a long game. I, I don't know if it's just because I'm an adult now and I, I just don't have patience for things. Um, but yeah, it, it for a game that demands a long sitting or a long amount of time to play through, uh, that, that gameplay can get a little tiresome. Uh, the most exciting thing in this is just finding, and it sounds strange, finding what happens when you let these enemies hit you. You know, whether you're you're getting stung so that you're fucking 
head inflates and you can float or getting tied up in a spider web into a ball so you can pinball yourself into a ton of enemies. Um, that, that for me was the bread and butter of this. It's, it's, you know, how Mario would hit a block and grab a power up. Uh, you, you get fucked up by the enemies and you see what it does for you or does to you. Uh, so there, there are things to keep your interest, but once you've seen them all and you go back and it's, you're just on a collecting quest, I, I this kind of the weakness of the game or the strength of it. If you like going back and, and finding everything, I'm not a big fetch quest guy. Um, so I, I, I was starting to tire down after I felt like I'd kind of seen it all. I think this, this game has, it's just a certain mood and style to it you know it, it's yeah. it it's cooler than super mm-hmm. mario you know uh wario he's he's got an attitude he he does things different and it change it kind of changes the game and i was gonna say wh- whatever kid got this when they when they were a kid you got your money's worth oh yeah and and you know let's be honest there wasn't any kid back in the day who was just sitting down for like 15 minutes playing a level and, and, you know, doing something else. Maybe there was, but I, most kids that I knew that had game boys, when you got a game, you, you sat and you, you marathon that thing until the batteries died. And this is one of those games where, you know, you're, you're in the car, you're playing it there. You'd get your extended battery pack. When you go into Denny's with the, with the family, you're, you're playing it there. You're playing it on the way home. It's just there's so much there to keep your interest that uh, I I can imagine kids just marathoning this back in the day. You know, it's it, it's just one of those things. But yeah, I I I didn't I didn't really know what to think because Mario or Wario is not my favorite character. I know that's sacrilegious, but I I had so much fun with this game. And Nintendo did such a great job after Super Mario Land and, you know, a couple other games of really trying to make their games so much more substantial than your average Game Boy game. And that was something that, you know, I appreciate. Like I said, I wasn't really playing Game Boy games at that time when they started to do that. I remember my cousin getting Link's Awakening and I was watching him play that in the car, and I was like, damn, that looks like an actual Zelda game. You know, it didn't look like Super Mario Land with little, you know, baby Mario running around. Mm-hmm. It's it, they, they actually took the time to, to really push the Game Boy and, and make it into something that, that you'd want to play if you didn't like handheld stuff. So I was, I was just really surprised by this one. I, it, this is one of my favorite Game Boy games that I played. Well, the other thing, is, you know, we've talked about how we like bonus games in games or hidden, you know, mini games. Oh, games. yeah. Uh, this game has, instead of a fishing mini game, it's got a mini golf mini game, or I guess I'll a take, golf I'll mini t- game. I'll take it. I'll take it. And it's That's not a just. Stack into fishing. It's not even that it's there, it's optional. It's required. In order to find all the treasure chests, there are some levels where there's like a block that literally says like bonus game, you know, or mini game uh, completion or something. And then if, if you find that mini golf door in the level, you'll be sent to a different screen where all of a sudden you've got, uh, it's not a straightforward golf game because it's, it's Mario-ified, but basically it tells you what the par is for the hole. And in order to, to get through that, you have a, you know, like the regular bar goes across, then you hit it again to see what the strength would be. And 
depending on where the ball lands, if it's in the sand or in the rough or in the water or whatever else, I mean, you have to try to get it to your, your monster, you're like hitting a monster basically across this map and you have to get it to fall into the cup. And if you can do that, great. And if not, you have to spend 10 gold and do it again. And if you're not, you've spent 10 gold and do it again. You can eventually quit, I guess, if you want to. But if you don't finish that at least once, you can't open that door and get access to the mm-hmm. treasure chest you're looking for. So at first I was like, oh, okay, you know, I didn't quite understand. I didn't understand how to play golf, but I didn't understand how the, like, the mechanics of this one specifically. But, I, I mean, it was neat when I got to it. And, and for the first run through of these, especially when you're trying to to figure out the mechanics of this golf game and really get down, you know, what does the distance on this bar really mean? looking at the map versus the distance on a bar. Uh, it, it was, I went through a ton of gold trying to get through the first few of these. So it was like, okay, now I know I need gold because otherwise I'm going to flail around at golf for a long time until I get to, <laughs> get, get to the, uh, into the cup so I can open the door. But that's a neat, that that's like a neat thing this game does with the mini golf game. The other thing I was really impressed with, uh, the bosses we'll talk about in a second are all very different, but there's a day night cycle. And mm-hmm. for most levels, that day cycle doesn't really matter. Like in a lot of levels, it just means the enemies are awake or asleep. And if they're asleep, it means you have to jump on them or whatever to, to wake them up to, to deal with them if you need them to hit you and turn you into the, uh, the other forms you might become. But uh, in some levels, there were specific changes in the map, depending if you went to it day or night. And it's not like there's a trick to it. If you enter a level and it's day, whenever you leave that level for any reason, the next level will be mm-hmm. night. And it's day, night, day, night, day, night. And, and it's... It was the second world, I think, that really has a bunch of levels that are highly dependent on if it's day or night as to what, yeah, like, yeah. sometimes it's that this this level is drained. There's no water at nighttime, but during the day it has a river in it. Like, it was, it's neat to have that kind of stuff, and it's not, I'm sure the manual probably explains some of that, but for me it was all learning it on the fly, and it was just, the, like, every time I thought, okay, this game's kind of neat, it would surprise me with something else. I mean, up until you have all the abilities to, to gain and then realize, okay, I have to go through these levels, you know, four times each to get the chest, plus probably one more time to get all the coins if you're if you're going for all that, like, and, and the collect-a-thon part of it. I, I just was amazed by how much this game did that was not what I expected, which, again, was a mm-hmm. reskin of Mario Land. I don't know if it's because this was called Wario Land that I just always assumed that. It, maybe if they called it something else completely. Because, uh, like, I played all the WarioWare games, and I love those, and I've played a bunch of other games that Wario's in. I don't dislike Wario. But if I think if they would have called this something else, maybe. Maybe that would have <laughs> caused me to put more attention to it. Because this mm. this is way way different, and it has like it's more of a puzzle game, which I love. If, if I would have known this was more of, a, of an adventure puzzle, puzzle game i would 100 percent have tried this before this podcast uh aside from the and i mean puzzles and like you know what form do you have to be in to 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 find your way through the level what abilities do you need to to use to swim you know to 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 make it through all the the chests and stuff like it it becomes much more thought-based than just run and gun kind of mario style stuff but the the bosses and they, they don't show up at the end of every... It's not like you go through four levels and there's a boss. Again, it's not a standard Mario boss setup. Instead, it's like at certain points in the game, you'll get a key, and all of a sudden, instead of going to where the chest is, you'll come into a big fight that clearly is more involved than anything else you've had. And some of them are... Um, they're all very different. Some of them are more standard boss fights where like one of the early ones you have, uh, you're basically... Uh, you know, kicking the ball, like the ball enemies, you'll turn them into balls so you can grab them, then kick them across the screen until they hit the guy flying at the top of the screen, right? Those are pretty straightforward with the abilities you've had at that time. You can tell how it works. But there's like a, a soccer game one you have to fight later, like a soccer off where it's you versus a, a guy that that you can turn into a ball. He can turn you into a ball and throws you into the goal. That was a neat boss. That took me a few tries to figure out exactly what I was supposed to do because you have to really figure out when, when to kick him and how to kick him to get by the goalie that's there. Um, 
even the last boss, the last boss of the game is a giant. Uh, mm -hmm. I forgot to mention the story because it's a Wario game. It's a, it's a Mario game, so the story I didn't think really mattered. But basically, you're, you're going through all these lands to collect these treasures to try to find five treasure boxes. Once you get these treasure boxes, you can give them back to the temple you start the game in, and that will free this, you know, this being that was imprisoned there, and then he'll take you back home. Like, cause you, you're also stuck in this, like, magic box mm -hmm. thing you found uh, at the start of the game. So once you get all those magic boxes put together, surprise, he's not just some benevolent, benevolent uh, creature that's going to help you out and get you back home. He, he of course, was, was in prison there for a reason. And it turns out that all the monsters that you've been attacking this whole time, or that have been attacking you, are actually people that were turned into these monsters by this evil clown that was, <laughs> that was in there. And you fight this giant, like, full screen size evil clown monster, which, mm -hmm. again, on Game Boy, it runs really well. It's animated really well. It's, it's, it's neat that it's there. Like, I... This game nonstop was a pleasant surprise. Uh, yeah, from start to finish. Yeah, I, it, this game was. I mean, this is like the showcase game, right? If if you were back in the day, or showing somebody nowadays, and like, all right, what could this thing do? Like, what could this little, what could this little handheld, what could it really do? And uh, this would be the one you pulled out because, yeah, that that boss fight, that final boss fight is so fucking impressive. By Game Boy standards, um, so many other things with it as far as bosses go, or just animations. Um, it's it's pushing it throughout. Yeah, I mean, stories basic as could be. Um, you know, with with Wario being the, the the character we know him to be, even the reveal that you know he's been just beating the shit out of people this whole time. It doesn't matter. It's not quite as damning as if you know Mario was at it. Um, I, I, I just, I love everything about this besides, you know, I, I said it does get repetitive, but if I play it in short burst, I'm having a blast every time, um, about the time I start feeling that little, that little whinge of, uh, of boredom or, or repetitiveness to it, put it down. You can pick it back up. This would be one you just pick up several times a day, you know, just the, the game boy sitting there, you just pick it up a few times a day haul it into the bathroom with you do whatever and and i think you could just have a blast with this thing until you finish it and i know i am nearing the end and i'll, I'll this is another one it's the highest praise i can give a game on this podcast is after we've reviewed it i i continue to play it <laughs> until i've seen it through to the end this would definitely be one of those there's just so much that i'm still seeing as the game progresses um that's continuing to impress me when i when i keep in mind god some of the shit i played on handheld in those early days um i i am floored that this existed all this time um and what little i saw of it back in the day did not win me over um uh, because i, I would have been all over this thing i was kind of like you when i was playing i was like why is this called super mario land 3 mm -hmm. but i i I get why they did it. You know, that's what's going to sell. Yeah, people are going to see Mario in the title. And even though they're like, that's kind of a dirty looking Mario, they're still going to buy it because Mario's name is on it. And it just, I think the, it just does a, this whole game a disservice. I don't know if Nintendo, you know, really didn't want to try to to spin off anything. So they they were just trying to see if this would work. Um, but yeah, it just it really does it a disservice because this is such a completely different game, and it's if 
if you were put off by it being called Mario, I know there were a lot of people back then that were just tired of Mario. We were getting a lot of Mario back then, which is, you know, unlike these days. It was just Mario every year. We were, whether it was Game Boy, NES, Super NES, we, it was, there was a lot of Mario. And, uh, if, if you just kind of missed out on it thinking it was going to be another Mario game, do yourself a favor and pick it up. Like, play it. It's, it's damn good. It's completely different. It's its own game. And in a lot of ways, I enjoyed it more than, than Mario. So just because of how much more there, it, it, variety and, stuff you can do so yeah uh, this is one of my favorite games we've we've actually played and definitely one of my favorite game boy games that i played well you know it, it to to counteract well you all kind of said this is fun but it does get a little repetitive um i'd say this gets the same kind of repetitiveness as playing through any of the current uh, i guess up to odyssey mario games for me right where once you get through the levels then you have to like um super mario 3D World or the Super Mario, New Super Mario Brothers or whatever, you know, once you beat the game, then you go back through every level and find all the hidden secrets. And then you unlock another set of levels where you have to, you know, they're more difficult, but you have to find, you know, get all the coins and, and get to the end with, you know, with all the coins to make sure you can save all of it. Like, it's always a collect-a-thon. And then once I get to the more more difficult levels, I don't want to play this for hours. If I get through one and I can save it, I feel good, I'll come back later. And I'll play through another one. I'll get, so that that's how this gets repetitive at the end too, which is not... I mean, not a complaint. That's just kind of how these collectathon sections of these games go for me. But up to that point, this is definitely one I couldn't put down. And I, I do agree. This may be one of my favorite Game Boy games uh, that we've played. It's definitely one of my favorite ones uh, that I've played recently. So thank you, Jeremy S., for recommending it. And again, if you uh, wanted to come on and, and give your thoughts on the game as well, uh, reach out to me via our Patreon, and we'll put you on a future episode. So that's our thoughts on Wario Land 3 for the Game Boy Color. Again, thank you, Jeremy S., for recommending it. And if you want to force us to cover a game like Jeremy did, uh, whether we'd like it like we did this time or didn't like it like some other patrons have done, uh, the best way to do that is to go to Retrovania.net. And on that page is a link to not just our YouTube and our Twitter and everything else, as long as Twitter's still here, uh, but it also has a link to our Patreon, where you get bonus episodes of the show. There's now three bonus episodes a month that are not available on the free feed. Plus, you can force us to cover your game at a slightly higher tier. But the most important thing on that page is not the links to those things, or even our Patreon, but at the very bottom of the Retrovania.net homepage, there is a form where you can send us a question, and we get to answer it on the show like we haven't done in about a what three episodes but we're gonna do right now yeah and uh first up i'm gonna just count this as a multiple question i have received multiple messages since uh i got back you know people wondering what the hell even happened to me uh because i never miss any of these podcasts even when i broke my leg i was on everything so it's got to be pretty bad when i miss something and if anything maybe this will raise a little bit of awareness to, to some people that might have an issue um after our last podcast which was uh which was uh tecmo tecmo's deception yes the bonus episode for tecmo so after that i apologize for my voice it's something that'll get better um after that episode i was just kind of sitting around watching tv and i stood up 
and I literally got like the worst back spasms that I've ever had in my entire life, like debilitating back spasms. And it, it basically sent me to the ground. So I, I really wasn't thinking anything of it. I kind of make, made myself go into the living room and then I kind of, I, I started having problems breathing. And if that wasn't bad enough, I lost feeling and movement in my legs. So I was like, all right, this is bad. You know, this is hospital bad. So uh, called an ambulance and everything like that. Basically what had happened to me, if you've never heard of it, is an aortic dissection. And it is common in people with high blood pressure. Uh, essentially what it is, it's your, you know, your aorta that runs from your heart all the way down to your, I, I don't know what it connects to, but it's a big ass tube that has mm -hmm. a lot of blood in it. Billy knows this stuff. It's, it's important. <laughs> you want to, you want to, you want to keep it intact usually. Yeah. It's, it's something that you really need. And this is actually something that will get overlooked a lot of times. And, and when the ambulance got to my house, they, they didn't think anything was wrong with me. Uh, they ran tests on me. They, you're not having a heart attack. You know, you, we'll get you to the hospital, but I don't know what else is what there is to do to you. They, they made me walk to the ambulance outside <laughs> while I was having this. Um, but uh, yeah, when I got to the hospital, they finally took a closer look. And by the next day, they were like, all right, this is serious. You got about a 20% chance of living. <laughs> getting through this and even if you do you you'll probably be paralyzed so i woke up three days later i didn't remember anything didn't even remember getting to the hospital um but i could move my legs and i was alive and the cause of this the root cause like i said was from high blood pressure so you don't know when it's gonna gonna hit you until it does and you you know to even think that it could cause something like that is pretty crazy. So I just wanted to get it out there. If you got high blood pressure, do something about it. Don't go through what I did. It's that was horrible, like legit yeah. horrible. And I wouldn't want anybody to go through that. So get checked up. I'm the last person that would ever probably be saying this <laughs> stuff because, <laughs> because, uh, you know, I've, I've had many people over the years tell me I should get my, my blood pressure in check. And, you know, I'm just like, ah, and then whatever. I'm, I'm completely healthy. I, you know, I don't even need to go to the doctor or anything like that. And when it happens, it happens and you're in for a ride and it's not going to be a pleasant ride. And the reason my throat is like it is, is because I kept pulling the tube out of my throat because I didn't want to have a tube in my throat. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just wanted to let everybody know that's what's going on. I'm in recovery. It's going to take a while. You know, there, there's a lot happened. I'm, I'm filled with metal and plastic now. So it's, uh, that's always good to, to think about. If you're a friend, if you're, I'll just say, if you're a friend of Jeremy's, uh, you know, his stance on, on medicine and doctor's yeah. visits and whatnot. So I, we all knew it was a serious matter, but we're all just, uh, just pleased that it's, it's, it's still the three man team going at it here. Um, but listeners, this is what you get. You're listening to a fucking podcast with three old men on it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Listener, beware. We, <laughs> you're, you're be blessed every time you you pull this thing up, and it's the three of us on it. 
at our advanced ages. I actually had someone come in when I was in the hospital. Uh, my doctor was in there, like checking me over, and one of the nurses came and and was asking what happened, and I I told him, and she was like, "You're really young to have that happen." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, oh, I'm yeah. 43," and the doctor was like, "If he was much older, he would have died." So I'm gonna take it in stride <laughs> that I had this happen <laughs> when I was young enough to actually make yeah. it through the surgery and recover. So yeah, just get it, just get it out of the way now. Get out of the way now. Yeah, that's well. It, that's I guess that's what my body basically did. <laughs> it's, it's like, well, we better just get it over with. <laughs> All right, but let's start with some actual questions, some real deal questions, some questions you you guys sent in and we haven't answered in a month and a half. <laughs> so uh, let's start with Celeste, and uh, she's wanting to know about best pre-order perks. Hello, guys. I was reminiscing about when I reserved a copy of The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, and received Ocarina... Ocarina of Time plus its mm-hmm. Master Quest version mm-hmm. as a pre-order incentive. Then I remembered the cool lithograph and art book I received when I pre-ordered Soul Calibur 2 for GameCube. Yes, Link's inclusion was the reason I wanted that game in the first place. What are some of the best pre-order gifts you've received, and what would entice you to pre-order a game today? No, I don't work for GameStop Corp. This is not a sneaky way to gather marketing research. I hope you all are enjoying delicious snacks. Talk to you later. Uh, honestly, I don't know if there's a better uh, you know, amount of time and, and benefit that you'd get than that Zelda one you mentioned as your start. Yeah, from, that was, God damn it. I, I totally forgot about that. That is an incredible bonus mm. to know that you got those two games but uh you know i don't pre-buy games as a rule uh the the, the only thing i pre-buy at all now are evercade carts and that's only so i can actually get one because amazon is horrible at actually getting you your pre-orders mm-hmm. um but uh, generally i don't pre-buy games only because when i worked at gamestop which admittedly now was 20 years ago but i worked there for five years when i did it they had just started the pre-sale thing and as an employee, it's like I would get punished if I didn't hit so many pre-orders. I had to cold call people and ask them to pre-order games because they bought other games that were, quote, similar, even though they were never similar. So it'd be like, hey, you know, Final Fantasy VIII's coming out, but you purchased Madden 95 for Super Nintendo. I don't know if you'd want to pre-purchase this game for a different system that's a different genre. I hated it. It was the worst part of that job, hands down. And that wasn't a very glamorous job. But the, the pre-sale cold calls made me so angry that I refuse to pre-buy things ever again based on that principle. So that's that's just me. But if I was going to pre-buy games, when we did pre-sell games and the few times I've done so since, uh, when it was something for like a kid that wanted something, um, I'm trying to think if there's something else that I was like, oh yeah, I'm blown away with this pre-sale that I had to get it. A lot of the time now it's DLC, so it's extra, you know, oh, you get this extra shirt yeah. or you get, uh, you know, extra, uh, you know a new hat for your character, something that I I could care less about. Um, That's never going to get me pre-buy a game. I'm trying to think like a lot of times when they, when you used to have hint guides, which, you know, Mm. now there's not really a reason for hint guides uh, because you have the internet, but when there wasn't uh, a lot of the time you would pre-sell it, pre-buy a game and and you'd get, you know, like a mini, uh, either a mini uh, hint guide for the game, or you'd get like a, a discount on the attached, you know, one we'd sell that that's probably what would get me to do it. If I had to, is if it came with a cool physical book, um, an art book, actually, you know what? I take it back. I thought of my favorite when I was there, my favorite presale was for the Castlevania symphony of the night when it came out, uh, presellers would get a t-shirt. They also got a cup, a Konami mug that I still have and use today and a soundtrack and art book 
uh, for the, like the history of Castlevania. And it was tiny, and it was basically like it slid into a, a larger sized CD-shaped case so you could keep the art book and everything with it. That was my favorite because I still have all those things uh, from then. Most of my other pre-sale stuff I can think of that we got, uh, you know, I've tossed since, or it was a shirt and it got worn and thrown out. But I've kept all those other physical things was from Castlevania, same thing the other night. You know, I wish... I could I could come up since you read that question off as soon as uh, we knew it was about pre-orders and I and I thought it may be like you know the best pre-order bonus and yeah uh, that the Zelda one was firmly on my mind and it stayed that way damn it I I racked my brain about other pre-orders and I tried to think of what did I get from those that I still have um and it's it's very few things i think i have a, a like a coin for mario galaxy uh not the coolest thing in the world and and honestly i don't know how it's still here uh and just like other little things here and there but that zelda disc just to just to back it up uh is, is probably my favorite thing i've gotten on pre-order because i i was able to play these games and not only this but a, a different edition of it um on my on my GameCube, which which was incredible because that uh that was all the sixty four was being kept around for, at that point. So that that was a big deal. Uh, that that was a really big deal back in the day where you didn't uh, things like backwards compatibility and things like playing you know you're you're being able to play this old game when a new console comes around. It was just a foregone conclusion. You know, you just kept your old console around and you just had fucking consoles laying around and fucking cords strewn about and whatnot so to to have a favorite game for one console playable on the next generation console was was a thrill so that that definitely is i tried racking my brain this entire time could not come up with a better one because to me that is as a zelda fan that is just simply the best one and i i don't really know what you could do for me nowadays um, I'm not in the business of pre-ordering, but I mean, but then again, with with digital games, you don't really have to. You're kind of that your copy's guaranteed if you're buying digital. You know, you're not going to go into the PlayStation Store, the Xbox Store, and it says sold out. You know, you're you're not. It's not going to happen. Um, so I, I don't really look into that too much. But it would have to be like I'm not big on physical items. I'm going to lose them. I'm going to throw them away eventually. Um, if it's like a lot of pre-order stuff, it's not going to be the best quality sometimes. Some things take withstand the test of time. Others don't. Um, but it would have to be something like that. It would have to be throwing out like a, a an older, like if it's this is a sequel, maybe one of the, the games before it uh, that you can't already play on your console. Just little things like that. Um, just I, I'm at the point where physical items are not going to to pull me in. Um, I have a lot of pre-order stuff, and it's not necessarily because I I wanted it. Uh, at <laughs> one point, my my ex girlfriend worked at GameStop, and mm -hmm. she would get pretty much anything that was left over. So I've got pre-order bonuses for games I never owned, and <laughs> there's a few that stand out. Like there was a just an absolutely gorgeous uh, Mario Galaxy hardcover strategy guide that you got oh. uh, as a pre-order bonus oh it's one of my favorites super high quality a uh, lot of strategy guides that are worth a lot of money now 
And uh, the uh, Billy, I don't know if you remember this. It was the uh, Fable Three pre-order. You got like a a book, yes. a fake book with that the yes. game was in, and some other oh, yeah. you know stuff. Uh, got that one. I've actually still got that one up on the shelf. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, my favorite though of all time is is one that I actually did pre-order. For it was a uh, Metal Gear Solid Three for the PS3, Ooh. and if you pre-ordered, you got a Bluetooth headset that was sh- shaped just like the one that Snake wore in the game, <laughs> and it was a real Bluetooth headset. It worked. It was the absolute worst Bluetooth headset I've ever seen in my life. It barely functioned. No one could hear you. But uh, I was working at the mall at the time, so I just I wore that around my ear just for the hell out of it. I thought it was really cool. I wasn't, but <laughs> I thought it was a really cool design, and and you know just the fact that it was there. The pre-orders got really crazy for a minute, yeah. you know, especially like Call of Duty, and they were doing like the night vision goggles and and the, mm-hmm. the RC cars and stuff like that. Like man, it's it's crazy to think how weird things got back then, and. You know, it was creative back then, and now it's just a bunch of statues that mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. one wants. So, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's a sad day. I, I kind of wish for those those old pre-order bonuses to be back, but yeah, the Metal Gear Solid one was my favorite. I lost it, but <laughs> it's it was really cool. Anyway, thanks for writing in, Celeste. And our next question comes in from Uncle Philly Holiday. Oh, and wow. Oh, man. He's wanting to know yeah. about foods and games. So well, we that's are th- too, that's that's what we discuss here. You know, I think we're, we're going to have a lot in common with these guys. So we are three younger guys who want to start a podcast talking about older fast food places mainly and play newer games as a bonus. We are thinking is about like talk- a, is this like a Bizarro I, podcast? It, it could be, but you know, it, it, this could be our younger selves just writing into us. <laughs> We're thinking about thinking about talking about what food we've eaten recently at the start of the show. I think this is actually Jeremy P's old podcast as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything you can recommend that we think about and how to properly build up a good and solid base of listeners? Thanks for the great show and hoping to hear many more. Kind regards, Baramy H. I mean if- <laughs> If, if we if if we come up with any ideas on how to build up listeners, we'll let you know if we ever figure that out. But no, I think we just kind of went the natural, you know, a, approach. I, I think it started off. My son may have been our only listener, and he told a friend, and we we told our friends, and they told people, and then it kind of got out there. Um, I, I I think this whole thing has been a very organic kind of thing it's not maybe if you want quicker results um our method is not the one to to speak of but um i i i'm i'm happy with where we are with our our group of uh listeners obviously some tremendous people um that we've gotten to know and talk to uh i i just i think the big thing with the podcast is and i've i've blamed this before is that Aside from if asked in the listener mail, we don't really talk about ourselves a lot. And I think that's the key. Just realize when you go into a podcast that people don't give a shit about you. They want you to talk about the, the subject of it and stick to it. And don't deviate off. You know, next week, 
uh, Jeremy P is not going to fucking talk about his his political ideology. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell you how my week at work was. Fucking, it's not about you. Nobody gives a shit about you. You're talking about old food, keep talking about that food. I, I think talking about video games. Keep talking about video games. I, I think you're kind of right. I do think that, that the difference is we're also not just reading you a manual. We're not yeah. just exclusively talking about the game. We didn't come on and say, yes. "Okay, Wario Land three, let's get started." Here's who made it. Here's when it came out. Here is the mm-hmm. history of Wario. Like we did cover those topics, but we also kind of have conversation about. Yeah. It is a video game podcast. We talk about video games we've been playing. You know, Jeremy just told us about what he just went through. Because if you have been listening mm-hmm. to the show, you might wonder, hey, this other guy who's been on every episode was off for three. And we didn't want to say what was going on because, it one, not our place. And two, we weren't sure what was going to happen. Right. So it was better to just say, oh, Jeremy's out. He'll be back. You know, we'll talk I was then. I was content telling people that he just got too scared with it being the month of October. <laughs> He was too too creeped out, but I think I think a blend of personality and the topic helps. You, oh, you yeah. don't need to just be dry. There are plenty of retro gaming podcasts that I still like and listen to, but I know when I get into it that it's going to be a technical discussion on this game, and you know, to the point where they're reading me pages of the manual and talking mm-hmm. about the serial number on the card. Like that's that's fine if that's what you want, but not everyone wants that. Um, uh, you know, again, that's I, I, that's that's why that's why I think we have worked as a podcast. Now, I don't know if that's going to work for these other guys that want to talk about fast food and occasionally video games. Although I think that's an incredible idea. Uh, I, I think, think yeah, you want to brand it so that everyone knows exactly what you're talking about. And yes, we aren't the fastest podcast that could get any modicum of success, but definitely don't give up either. Don't if you want to do this, give it a year. Don't say in two months we didn't get a hundred listeners in two months, and that means we're failing. Just keep at it. If you have a good product that people want to listen to, once they listen to that one episode, they're going to go back and listen to others, and they're going to tell people, "Hey, I found this podcast about you know Arby's in 1970, and I want to talk about that. I want to hear about Arby's in 1970." So here's what we're going to do. And like I, I don't know. Just stick with it. Give it a year, um, and be. I know that I'm saying this now and I feel like an ass because we are anything but consistent, but you got to stay somewhat consistent. Sure. We don't hit certain days, certain times, or even X, you know, every two weeks or whatever, but every month we put out five episodes. That is a consistent thing. Two, two regular episodes, three bonus episodes every single month. And if we don't, then it's, it's, you know, it's documented why there's going to be a hard, firm reason why that occurs. If you're one of these podcasts Mm -hmm. that like, oh, we're going to put one out and then you put one out three weeks from now, then you put one out. Six months after that, like if you're not putting these things out on a regular basis, then people aren't going to remember to check it. So, you know, stay somewhat consistent and give it a year and see what happens. It might not be it might not be anything. It might it might just happen that, you know, you have five listeners that really liked it and that was it. I did my previous podcast, which uh, is no longer around. And I think at our peak, when I was excited, we had maybe 100 listeners and I was so excited with that. That is a, you know, like, oh, man, we finally got 100 listeners after four years of doing this dumb podcast about three guys talking about nothing but their personal lives. Uh, This podcast, on the other hand, started off pretty strong. I mean, we had several hundred listeners uh, within the first year that were pretty consistent, and it's just gone up from there. So, you know, give give it a shot and don't don't expect overnight success. But I and I guess we're fucked on our damn our spinoff podcast about fast food. I, we'll put it on the fucking back burner. So yeah, but if you do, and if you do it, please write back to us and let us know. I would gladly promote a podcast that was mostly about fast food. Yes. Yeah, and don't be like that guy that wrote in. Uh, God, it's been like years ago asking if he could name his podcast Retrovania. <laughs> so, come up with your own name. Um, Maybe don't skimp on, you know, the audio. You ain't got to spend a ton of money, but, you know, have, 
have something that doesn't sound horrible. If, yeah. if or, that is the or, <laughs> or else you'll have a first episode that you hope and pray no one will ever stumble upon. Yeah, you know, we we had our issues, you know, we got it under control pretty quick. Uh but yeah, that's that's one of the biggest hurdles and and actually there's statistics on that. If somebody starts listening to something and it's bad quality audio, they won't even give it a chance. They'll just turn it off. So have decent audio and also have like good voices. You yeah. know, everybody has those, right? Yeah. Like uh yeah, yeah, have have decent radio voices. But if you don't, it's all right. You can I, yeah, I'll or, allow you to still do a podcast. Or, or or in my case, just have your regular voice, but have have the other two guys have really nice radio <laughs> voices. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it, it's just one of those things. I I would say record yourselves doing like maybe like a, a 10 minute test run mm. play it back to yourselves and just see what you think you know that's what people are going to be hearing so listen to that adjust if need be also don't sit there and talk over each other god damn i hate that uh, that's more of a personal opinion though i that is one of the biggest reasons why i don't listen to podcasts these days is the fact that everyone just mm. talks over mm. each other all the time, and I can't stand it. But yeah, thanks, uh, Uncle Philly Holiday, and, and best Ooh. of luck to you. If you get something out there, send it over to us, and, and we'll gladly listen. And finally, for our last question, I know we're keeping it short this time, but I got a failing voice, <laughs> and it's going out quick. Uh, this one comes in from Gate to Laming. We got a lot of crossovers here today. <laughs> wow. Actually, his letter or question is about genre crossovers. Hello, Retrovaniacs. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I wanted to ask about genre crossovers. How do you say Is it genre or gen? gen? I would say genre. Genre. Yep. genre. Okay. Right. That's, that's what I go with. I just didn't want to make sure I wasn't sounding stupid my entire life. If you could choose any existing gaming IP for a new game to be made, but it had to be a very different genre than past games for that IP, what game genre would you choose? I'd like to see a Punch-Out! RPG where Little Mac is trying to find out who was behind Doc Lewis's murder, with battles being boxing matches. Also, what are some of your favorite examples of existing games that meet this criteria? Uh, you know... There are a lot of bad examples of this, I think. I'm trying to think of a really good example where I'm like, oh, I love that thing where it was like this. But like Mega Man Soccer is a, is a good example of a game that it's fine, but you're not going to be like, oh my God, I love Mega Man. This soccer game is incredible. I wish I'm, I wish more games were like that. Or even like the the Mega Man, the newer Mega Man games that are on the, the, the DS that are like RPGs. I tried to play one and I was bored and I wanted to like it because I love Mega Man. Um, so I... I I like the idea of classic games like Super Mario RPG. Actually, that's the best version of this I can think of. Uh, after saying how Mega Man as an RPG didn't work, Super Mario as an RPG was incredible, right? The first Super Mario RPG and then some of the Paper Mario games, I think take the standard Mario characters and even some of the gameplay designs and translate really well into kind of that turn-based RPG. For me, that's what I like anyway is kind of classic RPGs. So I would love to play more games that are classic but in this you know then take that gameplay and find a way to make it unique and interesting and put it in an rpg uh, much like how super mario rpg did I, I like the idea of the punch out one you mentioned i think that's a really good idea um the the only other thing i was thinking of is games that have like a, a shooter section in a level but that's more of one level i don't know if i want a whole game that is castlevania but a shooter but i'd play one level like that if it was a boss for some reason where it turns into a shooter that would be fine but um 
yeah, I don't know. Any game that can tr- translate into an RPG more interestingly uh, would, would be probably my vote for how I would do that. What about a Silent Hill dating game? God, I'd play that. That'd be amazing. I, I guess for me, I'm kind of like you. Uh, I would probably choose RPGs. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted more fighting games to be in RPG form. I always wanted to play the Samurai Showdown RPG for Neo Geo. It never made, I don't think it made it over to the US, but I, I saw it in magazines and it looks so cool. You know, just being able to bring those characters over and, and have an actual story with them and have tactical RPG battles with these, you know, fight, fighting game characters. That was a cool idea. And that's kind of what I would go with today. I mean, turn just about anything into an RPG or a turn-based tactical RPG, and I'll be I'll be happy. Turn Castlevania into an RPG. Mm-hmm. Turn um, Silent Hill into a turn-based tactical RPG. There you go. That's <laughs> that's my answer for just about everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say my favorite of all time was, even though I didn't get to play it, was that Samurai Showdown RPG because that was just. Mm. That was such a cool thing and unexpected, and I would love to play it, but I don't think it's ever been. Tra- it might have been translated by you know fans, but it definitely wasn't back then. It, and I think that's a recipe for success. I think almost anything uh, could get the RPG treatment and and come out interesting. You know, I fucking you could hit up damn Metal Gear, Silent Hill, uh, any series. You could go turn based RPG. And you would be just fine. That Silent Hill dating sim has has definitely got my fucking interest. Um, but no, I I, I like just like off wall games where they they just put together various characters. Um, like I love that fucking uh, God, that poker night at the inventory. Yeah, that was, was fun. fucking hot shit with me. And it's just the ran- most random assortment. A video game, the heavy from Team Fortress 2. I think uh, Max or Sam, one of them, one of the characters from Sam and Max was in it. And Strong Bad was in it. And it's it's just a legit poker game. Uh, there, there is, it's a straight up poker game uh, with just these bizarre characters, with just this, this these witty lines of dialogue. I think the next one had GLaDOS and, and fucking Ash from Evil Dead was in it. it it's just, I, I love like little fever dream type things like that um but yeah super mario rpg went a long way with me as a kid um rpgs seem the they seem the way to go but i i think if i if i could take one franchise and and give it a different genre kind of cross them over i'm i'm ready for fucking mario fishing i don't know about you i'm surprised there hasn't been a mario fishing i'm ready to cast my fucking line out with the with the the cast and crew of super <laughs> of, of fucking Super Mario, you could throw Link in there. I mean, he knows his he knows his way around a fucking fishing pole. We've seen that. I don't know. I I, I think the world's ready for it. Uh, he's played fucking basketball, fucking baseball, golf, tennis. I'm I we're due up. You know I what would I say? No no cart racers. None. Just. I'm I'm done with those. I don't want any weird mashup of characters mm. and cart racing. I, well, we, I mean, th- there's only one true cart racer anyway. After Mario Kart, it's you don't need more. I think that's like one of the laziest things people can do. 
it was, and it's so hard to to make it work. I mean, yeah. Crash Bandicoot at least tried something different. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people mm-hmm. like that. I I never really got into it, but you know, you've got something like that, and then you've got Mario Kart again. That's that's about all you need. Mm. So, um, well, it's and it's it's kind of equal to when you know PlayStation tried to or Sony tried to to pull off the the Smash thing with that that PlayStation All Stars. It was just it's just. You can tell when it's just a cash grab and it's very lifeless and there's not a lot to it. It's just, hey, here are all these characters you like doing something. And and it seemed like we got a lot of those back in, in the yeah. PlayStation days. Like it was yeah. there was cart racers everywhere. There were mm-hmm. uh, sports games. You know, I, I groaned all over the place until I actually played Mega Man Soccer and it was fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, it seemed like they were just trying to put those out as like B games or something to fill mm-hmm. the void until the real games could come out. And it, it, you, you could feel that, that B game all over them is it, yeah. it, it just felt like it was soulless for the most part. So that's, that's the only thing I would say, just, just no more cart racers. We don't, we don't need that stuff. As we um, sat here discussing mm-hmm. it, I thought about one that I'd say is not quite as amazing as Super Mario RPG. Like that really was, an incredible game that was a total, mm-hmm. you know, drift from what they, the core material was. But did either of you guys play Persona 4 Dancing All Night? Yes. That yeah, was that another was... amazing crossover because not only was it a solid music game, if you like music rhythm games, it was done really well and it was different than just doing Parappa or something with, with uh, the characters from, from Persona, but it actually had a story that would unfold that made sense in the world of persona. Like I really enjoyed the story to persona Four dancing all night. Like I loved that game and I blew through it. It's not very long, but it doesn't need to be. It's also a music game at its core. So you also want to keep playing it over and over again to get the best scores. But persona Four dancing all night specifically was a great, like offshoot of the main game. That was a totally different style of game that made sense in the world and worked really well. Uh, if you did also play Persona 3 and Persona 5 dancing, those felt more like cash grabs because they didn't have that connected story like that. And it didn't, I mean, they basically were like, well, you know, it's Persona, so you're in this other world, so now you're going to dance. Like, okay. And they were fun. They played just as well. They were mechanically as good as Persona 4, but it didn't have the heart that Persona 4 dancing all night did or or yeah. the story specifically that tied back to that world. But yeah, thanks for writing in Gate to Laming. That's our thoughts on genre crossovers, and that's going to do it for the mail this week. It's been good to be back, good to do some mail, and hopefully next time we can do some more. My voice is dying, though. (laughs) I'm going to send it back over to Jeremy. It was a valiant effort. You got got an hour plus out of that voice today, so good to have you back. I'm glad to, to hear everything's going as good as can be expected. (laughs) <laughs> um, I know you'll be recovering for a while, but you were able to, you know, come on here and, and talk for an hour and you are, you know, not paralyzed, a, a big positive. So, uh, it is yeah. a big positive. uh, we will be back of course, with three more episodes. We've already done our first bonus episode. You missed, uh, us covering Paperboy for the Nintendo. I wouldn't say you missed it though. Uh, and then we've also <laughs> got three more shows. So our next episodes, I don't, I don't mind giving these out this time. Cause it's all for our 
end of November feast of gaming. So we, we're going to cover two Nintendo <laughs> games for our bonus episodes. But our next main show is another Atari retrospective, all games that sort of involve food uh, this time through. So that should be a fun one. We can talk also more about the Atari 50 uh, collection if either of you pick it up by then. Or if not, I'll just talk about it for a good 15 minutes. Uh, but be back then and otherwise find everything Retrovania on Retrovania.net. Again, you can join our Patreon there and get three bonus episodes per month. They're not in the speed. And we will see you next time.